Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host and I have a very special guest joining us from Orange County, California, Mr. Anthony Brown. Stay with us. And we're back. Let me bring Anthony Brown on. Anthony, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Ken. I, I appreciate you being here, man. So, um, you know, I started this show about two and a half years ago, and it was to help people have a breakthrough in life, to help them get unstuck. And right now, there's a lot of people stuck. So, Hopefully, you'll be able to share your experience, strength, and hope and and help some people out along the way. Okay. That would be um, a great a great feat to accomplish. By the way, there will be times during the show when I put the camera, give you the full stage. I'm still here. So, um, Anthony, let's start with um, talk about where you were born and raised. Okay. I was um, born in a small town in Ohio called Steubenville. Um, I was there until the age of 18, and then I came out to California um, from that point forward. Steubenville, Ohio. It's right up the road from me. I live in Marion, Ohio. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm from Ohio. Go Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so so growing up in Steubenville, that's... Um, that's up in near the in the northeast section of Ohio, up around the well, Cleveland ish area, right? Yes, absolutely. So, 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 talk about what it was like for you growing up up there. Okay, for me, I um, I I, I was born in the '60s, and um, back then we didn't have very very many resources, and um, I was raised with a single a single mom. And I had um, two sisters and one brother, and things were challenging. I know um, in in my in my book I shared about you know some of the negative consequences I received as a child, and sort of shaped my behavior for uh, several years to come. And and what what were some of the what were some of the negative things that that happened? I mean, what what. Here's why I ask. I, I truly believe that that what we experience as children kind of shapes our adult destiny a little bit, like who we become as adults. Do, do, does anything come to mind when I say that? Oh yeah, definitely. I was um I was raised with the philosophy spare the child, spare the rod, child. And so there was quite a few um, moments in which um, the consequences re resulted in, for lack of a better term, beatings. You know, I was yeah. one of those kids that got hit with almost any object my mom could get her hands on, whether it be an extension cord, whether it be a switch, you know, things of that nature. And back in those days, even in school, the uh, teachers used to give us squats with paddles and things like that. And so that pretty much shaped me into having a philosophy or an idea that 
in order to get what you want, all you had to do was uh, be more powerful than the next person. Right, right. So, so at eighteen, did you did you graduate high school then? And I quit school in the, um, when I was fourteen. I ran away from home. Wow. Um, yeah, I was homeless from fourteen to thirty-seven, and wow. because um, I know prior to Steubenville, we lived in Cleveland, and okay. up until I was around nine years old, um, one day we woke up in the morning and found my mom laying on the floor. She had got shot in the head, and that type of trauma and the rest of life sort of shaped, you know, how I acted out in my early and middle adulthood. Did, was that, I mean, did that, was that the end of your mom's life? Oh, no, she, she lived. Oh. She lived. Because <laughs> most people get shot in the head don't survive that. Yeah, it was, it was, it kind of formulated this false thinking of my mom. I felt that she was indestructible. And so later in life, when she did um, have cancer, I minimized it by thinking, well, she lived the gunshot, so why wouldn't she live cancer? Right. Yeah. Wow. So um, from the age of 14 to 37, you were homeless. I was homeless. I left home. I quit school in the eighth grade. Um, wow. by then at the age of 12, I was experimenting with drugs, um, marijuana, drinking all the time, um, eating pills, um, you, you name it. It didn't matter to me because, uh, now that I'm an adult, I understand that this was my way of coping with the trauma that was occurring inside my house. Jeez, man. And so at 14, I ran away from home. I joined a carnival and traveled as a carny in Ohio. Wow. And that was what going to fairs. Yeah, we 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 were traveling around doing fairs. Um, it was a great escape because when you're out there, you can hide. And so I I traveled around being a carny in the summertime. In the wintertime, I came back to Steubenville, lived in abandoned houses, got through. Then in the summertime, I did the carny thing again until I was eighteen. You lived in abandoned houses, so there was no heat. There was there was there was nothing there, no heat, no furniture, and it's it's I, I tend to find humor, you know, as my coping mechanisms, and living in those abandoned houses, we used to get the wooden milk crates back then, and I would build furniture out of the milk crates, wow. but then when it gets cold, I would burn the milk crates in the fireplace, and that smoke from the fireplace attracted the police, which removed me from my dwelling. Because I was literally trespassing anyway. Did they at least put you in jail where you could get some meals and heat? <laughs> uh, well, I, I I have been to juvenile hall, but usually when they find you trespassing, they just tell you to leave. You know, and I was more or less trying to escape from home anyway. Yeah, and so that that type of lifestyle is what I um got at involved in. Fourteen years old is when you started that. Yes. My gosh, today is my 15-year-old daughter's birthday, and I cannot imagine that for her. I can't imagine that. So, <clears throat> so you were you were homeless, and um, how in the world do you get to California when you're homeless? <laughs> um, a friend of mine um, from from Steubenville had a relative out here in California. 
and they had visited their relative. And so when he came back, I was 18 doing the homeless thing. And he said, well, you want to go to California? That would be a good idea. And well, I didn't, I didn't have nothing going on for me anyway. Yeah. And, you know, so I thought that, because I, I had no clue what California was about. And so I, my idea was California was what I saw on TV. Right. You know, palm trees, people Moving in bikinis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so we got in this car and we drove to California and I seen the Hollywood sign. And, you know, yeah. by then I'm strung out on everything. I'm homeless. And I had this, this grandiose idea, you know, and I seen the palm trees and I, I seen Hollywood and Rodale Drive, and, but we just kept on driving. And then I seen, you know, nice houses, swimming pools. Oh, great. We kept on driving. And then we end up in um, in the ghetto. And I'm like, well, this isn't what I've seen on TV. What, where, whereabouts? Where, where they, in, L, in the L.A. area? Um, yeah, in, in Linwood, Linwood, California. That's where we stopped. Uh, why? Why didn't you stop in Beverly Hills and hang out there? Well, he had, uh, he had, uh, his brother lived in, in Linwood. Oh, okay. And so we, when we got to Linwood, um, I'm like, my, my idea and dream was shattered, but I was already addicted to everything. So it didn't matter as long as I could find something to take care of my addiction. And a place like that was perfect wow. for an addict. Wow. Okay, so I, I assume you immediately went and got a, a good, nice corporate job or something. A, a job? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, back so back. What, what did what did you? Okay, like, and again, I'm I'm in recovery, so so I can relate to a lot of this, but but. How did you, I mean, dude, when you have a, a drug and alcohol addiction, you got to pay for that. Like, well, that, you know, they're not handing that out for free typically. Yeah. Well, I am. Um, when, when I was younger, I learned a long time ago, the only knowledge you needed to know was 28 grams made an ounce. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that actually, but yeah. yeah. And so. And I've always, you know, sold marijuana or sold pills or done something. So I sort of had that vocation instilled within me. And I know that um, I, I have excellent survival skills, a.k.a. Yeah. hustling or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And so I know that if somebody gave me a bag of drugs, it's smart to use some, sell most of it so you can continue the process over and over and over again. And that's that's how I was. I was I was a, I guess you could say a honest drug dealer. Wow. So so you and and how old were you when you went to California? Eighteen. I was eighteen. So from fourteen to eighteen, you're you're doing the carnival thing. Is that right? Yes. Uh -huh. And 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 you are traveling around Ohio, going to carnivals and fairs and and all of that as a carny. What did you do as a carny? Like you helped set up the tents, or what? What was that? Um, I there's in the carnival life. There's there's, I guess you could be subdivided into two categories. There's the the ride jocks, and then there's the joint the joinies. You know, there's the people that operate the amusement rides, and there's people that operate the games. And 
I operated one of the rides. I got to set up. I, I never forget. It's called the Tip Top, and I have a picture of it still. <laughs> but um, I I set up the Tip Top, and that became my home. I slept underneath the ride. I took showers underneath the ride. I you know I lived underneath the ride by night and by day. I operated the ride. My gosh, man. Um, and then you ended up going. You you decided to go to California because. You didn't see a long-term career in being a carny sleeping under rides. <laughs> well, I, I came to California because there wasn't really nothing else going on. I mean, right. I, um, I I lied, cheat, stole, you know, did yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And so there wasn't really much going on in Steubenville. No, no. So, so you, um, so here you are in Linwood, you said Linwood, California. Yes. And, um, you get to Linwood and, and you're in, in the ghetto, you said, um, and all of a sudden you felt like you were home. Yeah. I went to a park and, you know, noticed a group of people hanging around. This was my first encounter ever seeing a gang. Um, there was, there was a gang hanging out and I just walked up and said, Hey, you know, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and I'm, I'm a chameleon. I fit in anywhere, you know. Oh, wow. And that's when I first started learning how to smoke PCP. Oh, that sounds like a a a, a good good thing to do. Oh, oh yeah. There's there's nothing like um, having your entire body frozen by a chemical. A everybody should have that on their resume. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed. <laughs> wow. So, so yeah. Ernest asks a great question. Did they did they beat the crap out of you for twenty minutes? This gang. Did you join the gang? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't join the gang. It was um, it was a Hispanic gang, and you know, okay. I'm African American. But the thing that we had in common was the fact that I like getting high. I got and, you. And so, in the beginning, I was pretty much a customer. Wow. But then, you know, I became a um, employee, so to speak. <laughs> oh my gosh! So, um, so talk about how things went from from there for you when when you, um, you know, here here you are now. You're, I mean, PCPs, some serious stuff. Like now, you're you're smoking PCP. You're 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 sounds like dealing um or or you know something along that lines how, how did things go for you from there because th that's 18 years old you said and you yeah. were homeless till you were 37 so yeah. we, we still have 19 years to go and it was an adventure <laughs> i um from from the pcp days um i got introduced to cocaine back then and I've already learned how to inject drugs from Ohio, so I brought that skill with me. Wow. And so I'm injecting cocaine, smoking PCP, smoking marijuana, drinking uh, Boone's Farm, um, Wild Irish Rose, just about anything. And, you know, that lasted for a while. I um, accommodated a residency in an abandoned house because that's what I know. And um, from there, actually had um, the opportunity to get a job at a fast food restaurant out here. So, when you're living in 
abandoned houses, don't you have competition for that? Aren't there other people that want to live in those abandoned houses too? Well, if you've seen the way I look back in the days, you wouldn't want to compete with my house. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yes. I am. I am. Um, I'm a far cry from who I was back then. Um, wow. Yeah, back then I had a afro that wasn't very kept. I had a beard. I never smiled. Um, I, I was just not the type of person that you would even want to be around. Yeah. But when you're an addict, it doesn't matter where you get your drugs from. And so most of the time I hung out in the dark anyway, you know, but um, I, I lived that way. I got a job at this fast food restaurant. I start working at the restaurant. I start stealing. The restaurant was good because it gave me something to eat. Yeah. And so right. I'm, I'm, I'm eating hamburgers, eating tacos, um, all of that. And then they promoted me to work in the cash register. And so I'm at the cash register. Of course, I'm going to do what I'm familiar with. I'm stealing money from the cash register. Right. Um, and then the heat was on. And sure. so before before I got caught, they transferred me to a um, another restaurant because it was a franchise. So I got transferred to another restaurant in Costa Mesa. And um, I adapted to that. I already knew where to pick up drugs. The manager of the restaurant liked cocaine as well. But he... Um, he wasn't the type of guy that would go into the environments that I would to get it. And mm -hmm. so, again, I had my skills of selling drugs. I'm in this restaurant. I'm supplying cocaine to him. So he felt it would be best to move me in with him to live. And so I'm living in this apartment. I'm many, um, working at this restaurant. And I'm the kind of drug addict that if you leave your drugs around me and you get up and leave, I'm going to do them. And so wow. by then, yeah. And so by then, um, I'm I'm living with him. Um, I graduated to becoming a shift lead. I had complete control over all the cash registers. Um, I was selling drugs out of the drive-through of this restaurant, and uh, living with him until one day it came where he left his drugs laying in the house. He went to the bathroom. I did his drugs, and he came back, and he's like, "Well, what happened to the drugs?" And of course, I'm like, "Well, I don't know. Somebody must have took them." And so I told him that, you know, we would find the culprit and deal with it. Well, it's only me and him living in the house. And so that um, created a problem. He kicked me out of the house. He fired me from the restaurant. But I've already established my corner in which to operate. And so I hung out there and sold drugs um, in the middle of the night. Wow. Holy smokes. So, so you man and and how old were you at this point i was probably 27 maybe 28 wow yeah and 28 years old eighth grade education um strung out since 14 years old um homeless in a different state and that was that was what i knew you know, so the nightlife was it, it. I was I was at home and that was my norm. And so I did that for a while. And I know um, I don't know if I can talk about the big book or whatever, but there's a talk story. about anything you want, dude. Anything. <laughs> OK. OK. There's a story about the jaywalker in the big book about a person runs out and gets hit by a car. 
um, breaks an arm, go back out, get hit again. He's doing the same. He's doing the same thing, expecting different results. Yeah. Well, my my story from selling drugs was like the jaywalker because I would go to this specific corner and sell drugs in the middle of the night, and I would get arrested. And with my with my infinite wisdom, I think the best disguise for me to sell drugs in the middle of the night would be to wear a dare T-shirt. And so back in the days when I was in, in um, this is Costa Mesa, there was only four, four African-American people in this entire town. And I was one of the four. Wow. And, and so I was the only one out at two o'clock in the morning in a dare T-shirt in the wintertime sweating. And, oh jeez! Yeah, and I wonder why I got busted. And so, um, I, I'm sure you fit right in, though. Oh, <laughs> yeah! And, wow! Yeah, and so I am. Um, I'm hanging out on this corner. Um, Har- I can I can say it, Harbor and Wilson. I'm hanging out on Harbor and Wilson, selling drugs at two o'clock in the morning, and I and that's when I get my first arrest. They put me in Orange County Jail. I spend um, six months in jail, get out of jail. I go back to Harbor and Wilson to do what I do. And I got arrested again. And this time they sent me to prison. And so I'm sitting in prison and I'm thinking, well, there's a problem. And I spent eight months in prison and I'm, I'm reviewing the situation according to the way my thinking is. Yeah. And so the problem was, I think, I didn't hide the drugs correctly. And so I put the drugs in my pocket and I get out and I go back to Harper and Wilson and I get busted again. Hold it. This is after eight months in prison. Your the conclusion that you drew after being incarcerated for eight months was I was just doing it the wrong way. I need to change the way I'm hiding the drugs. That I was guess. My, okay. Yes, that was my conclusion. I mean, that's logical. Yes, I thought it was. I was brilliant, <laughs> let me tell you. And so I got out and wow. I, I went I went back to Harbor and Wilson. Same and got, same corner. Of course. Yeah. And, yeah, and so I got busted again. And this time they sent me I think to um Chino prison. And I'm sitting in Chino and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. okay, well there's a problem. I I know it is. And so I felt that Maybe I shouldn't put the drugs in my pocket. Maybe I should put it in that little coin change thing. Now, I'm a big drug dealer, and all the drugs I got, I can fit in a little coin change thing in my pocket. I mean, you're balling. I am balling. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I get out, and I put the drugs there, and I go back to Harper and Wilson, and I got busted again. And this time they sent me to prison. I went to Donovan. I mean, I I went to Delano this time, and I'm sitting in the reception yard wondering, well, there's something's wrong. And so I, I think I spent probably a year and a half up there. And I'm like, okay, I got the solution. The problem is I just didn't hide it effectively. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I decided I'm going to keep the drugs in my sock. Much, so I, much, much better. Most yeah. people don't get busted if it's in their sock. Yes, that's what I was right. thinking. So you're yeah. thinking like me now. Yes, and, I get and so it. I, yep. And so I got out and I went back to Harbor and Wilson, and I got busted same, again. Same, because lightning would never strike three times on the same corner. No, no, it, especially me. I mean, I 
I didn't wear the Dare t-shirt because I thought that would attract too much attention. So I put the drugs in my sock. I had a plan. And I went back to Harbor and Wilson. And I got busted again. And this time they sent me to, I think, Chuckawalla Valley State Prison. And I'm sitting in Chucky's house. It's really hot. I'm complaining. I'm locked in a cell. And I'm just, this is ridiculous. And how old you know? are you at this point? I was probably 30 three okay and you're in 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 <laughs> at <laughs> yeah phil wants to know was it the same cop it, it, it was it was oh my god <laughs> so so hold on what were you so you stopped you thought you were like okay i'm hiding the drugs in the wrong place and the dare t-shirt is what's giving it away Maybe I need to wear an NWA shirt or Easy E or something that says "F the police" on it. <laughs> yeah, well, that probably would have. Remember, I'm only like one of four black people in this whole town. <laughs> okay, and I'm I'm the only one out at two o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh, man! Okay, so now you're at Chucky's house. Yes, and so I got out of Chucky's and. I, I, I came up with the plan. I, I knew what would be foolproof. And so I decided that I would get out and I would keep the drugs in my hand. When the cops come, I would throw it. Mm. And so I go, I go back to Harbor and Wilson. And the, the, the thing that messed up this plan is I got too high and I forgot the drugs was in my hand. And so I got busted again. I hate it when that happens. Yeah. And I got sent to... Um, I think I got sent back to Chino. Then they sent me to Avenal. And so I'm sitting in Avenal and I'm like, you know, something's got to change. This is ridiculous. Yeah. You know? And so in my infinite wisdom, I decided that um, when I got out, what do you think about it? Where do you think I went when I got out? Uh, well, hopefully you picked a different corner because that seems to be the common denominator is the corner you're working is is the problem. Right. It, that's, that was my thinking exactly. So I went one block south to Harbor and Victoria. And Beautiful plan. Yeah, and I got busted again. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> the cops have to go down there too, don't they? Yeah, and, you know, this time the cop even felt <laughs> sympathy for me <laughs> and he asked me if I wanted some help and Did he? you know yeah and I think I was probably 34 35 and I was just tired of being tired you know sick and tired of being tired and sick yeah and nothing was working so I said yeah I want some help and he happened to know of a lady who owned a treatment center and I didn't know that I didn't know that he knew the lady, but he asked if I wanted some help. I go back to I go back to the county jail, which prepares me for prison. I'm getting back in a mindset of going to prison. You know, back then I had hair; it wasn't hard for me to get rid of it. So I shaved my hair. I'm doing push-ups, all the stuff to prepare me for prison. And I find out I'm going to this treatment center. And instead of prison, yes. Wow. Now, now somewhere in the midst of all of this Harbor and Wilson stuff, I got a phone call that. My mom was was dying. I mean, this time she was gonna go, and mm -hmm. she actually passed away. Well, that just that just set me off on a course where I didn't care about anything. I had no more rules. I didn't care, and so um, 
a lady from the treatment center came down to interview me and things started getting real. I'm wow. like, sure, I'll go, I'll go to your treatment center. Now I would tell her this verbally, but inside my head, I'm thinking, well, that's a good place to sell some drugs from. Nobody's going <laughs> to think of me selling drugs there. You know? And so I have these plans and everything. But when I got released, a, a woman from the treatment center came to pick me up directly. And this lady was nice. And I'll never forget the very first thing she said to me when she when I got released to her, she asked me if I wanted a cigarette. I never forget that. Wow. And I looked at her and it's like, well, why are you being so nice? Because right. I live in a certain kind of environment from pretty much a childhood. Yeah. And here's a total stranger saying, you want a cigarette. And then yeah. after that, she asked me if I want if I if I like Chinese food. Those words are etched in my brain forever. Wow. And she took me out and she paid for a meal for me and she took me to this treatment center and she said, Do me a favor, if you're gonna leave, don't jump the fence, just walk out the gate. Wow. And I'm like, You trust me? And she's like, Why not? And so I, I walk in this treatment center and everybody's all smiling. Hey, how are you? You know, let me shake your hand. Let me give you hugs. I'm like, what is this? You know, <laughs> bunch of freaks. Why are you hugging me? Right. Don't touch me. You don't you know who I think I am? Right. I mean, right. I, you know, I, I'm a. I just came from prison. I'm ruthless. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a. I'm a level one killer. <laughs> yeah. And, very so, talented drug dealer, too. I mean, it sounds like you were running a major, major enterprise there. Oh, man. You know, Scarface has nothing on me inside <laughs> my head, okay? And um, actually, towards the end, I, I actually did accumulate quite a bit of drugs, but it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, nothing lasted. Wow. And, and so I'm in this treatment center, and people are nice. Um, I remember somebody gave me a bag of quarters. Somebody gave me a bag of cheeseburgers. I mean, when when you're when you're hanging out in back alleys in the middle of the night selling drugs, nobody walks up and says, Hey, are you hungry? That doesn't happen back there. Wow. You know. But these people, it was a whole paradigm shift and I felt like a stranger in a strange land. Wow. And I didn't know how to act. I mean, I knew might makes right. I knew if I punch you in the face, I'm gonna get what I want. I knew that. I knew if I could if I could manipulate you, I'm gonna do it. Cause yeah. that'll get my way. But these people were just genuinely here, take this. And I'm like, what? You know? And so they put me in this apartment by myself. And I didn't know till later on that the reason why they put me by myself, <laughs> because I wasn't really like a nice person. Right. But they put me in here and I did my, um, my 30 day um, lockdown there. And it's really fascinating because all the times I've been in prison, I, I read all kinds of books. I I, I read all of um, Louis L'Amour and Daniel Steele and Stephen King. And, you know, I know how to read books. And yeah. so I was given the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I read it like it was a novel. And after lockdown, I knew everything there was to know about recovery. And so I went to my first meeting, which was a Wednesday night men's stag at this low bottom indigent detox. And I got, you know, I seen what everybody was doing. It was raising their hands and my name is so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. And so I finally got to the point where I raised my hand. I go, my name is Auntie, I'm an alcoholic. And this treatment center is mistreating me. You know, it's unfair that I have to make my bed. It's not cool that I have to do chores. You know, 
I don't like what's going on and something should be done about it. And so after I shared, everybody clapped and I thought I did good. And the next guy, <laughs> stood, and the next guy stood up and he, he introduced his name and he looked at me and he goes, you know, you're just a little whiny. And he called me um, not a nice word. And he told me to shut the heck up and not a nice word. He didn't and say he, the heck. No, he didn't say the heck. <laughs> and did he call you the B word? You're a whiny yes, little. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. He called me a whiny little B and told me to shut the F up. And he kind of hurt my feelings. I'll, I'll bet. Did you fire him? Um, no, actually, I asked him to be my sponsor at that point. <laughs> and. Wow. Uh, yeah, and that was my wow. first sponsor, and he introduced me to those twelve steps. And yeah, you know, my life got different. I I became part of they they introduced me to to that program. Um, they said the first thing we want you to do is wash ashtrays, you know, in meetings, yeah. and I didn't understand why, but I just did it, you yeah. know, because as I stayed in that treatment center and as I was going to those meetings my life was getting different. I wasn't homeless anymore. I was eating. I started to understand that there's a roof over my head. There's a bed for me to sleep in. Yeah. You know, it's better than the carport overhang I've been living in, you know, and I wasn't getting arrested. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I'm washing ashtrays and I must've did it good enough. So they allowed me to start washing coffee cups. Wow. And then, and then they allowed me to be um, the treasurer. They, they let me keep the money. Wow. Now I'm doing this 12 step stuff. I'm in this treatment center. And at that time, life was boring. I mean, I, I spent 23 years in in some action and debauchery. Right. You know? Right. And here I am, like, you An know, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like from going 95 miles an hour to 10. Yeah. And and I'm like, well, this this recovery stuff is cool, but in the back of my head, it's like I, I kind of need that, you know, excitement. And yep. so one one day I seen my connections wife walking across from the donut shop, and I, you know, and I'm like, hey, how are you? She goes, well, so and so's doing bad. He's on parole. He has to have his a twelve step card signed. And I had eighteen months, and I'm a I'm a I'm a guru in the program with eighteen right. months. old timer. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I yeah. figured, hey, I, I got I can help him. So I take my big book down to his house, which was a mess lab. <laughs> and Jeez. yeah, and so I'm going in there and playing Nintendo and talking about the program. And you know, there's all kinds of people going on. I mean, it's it's just a whole mess network. Yeah. And there was action there and you know, crazy people, women, all of that stuff that I missed. And so each time I would go down there to help him. And on the 12-step call, I would discuss the 12-step program less and less and less. Yeah. And then finally finally came that one day where I was sitting there and um, somebody had some had some methamphetamine in a spoon. And they just asked me if I wanted some. And I didn't have an effective defense. And I said, yes. And I took that first shot. And I was just back into insanity. And at that point, I gave up my 18 months of sobriety. and. Um, the ball was rolling, you know, yeah. I, um, I, I laugh and I tell people I tried to do some controlled drinking and I did control substances, 
and once again, I end up in a controlled environment, you know? And so once I was back on and, and doing the math, I uh, started selling again. And next thing you know, I find myself getting pulled over. I, I didn't go nowhere near Harbor, first of all, okay? <laughs> yeah. away from Harbor. And so I got busted in another county with 67 grams of methamphetamine in the back of my car. They probably really um, frowned on that. Yes, they. It wasn't. It wasn't the normal police that would arrest me. <laughs> it was somebody completely different. I'm in a completely different county jail. Everything was different. And this, the the irony of this whole thing is, when I was sober 18 months, I liked it. I really enjoyed that peace of mind. Yep. And once I took that first drug. I I didn't like myself at all. Right. You know, and those slogans that I hear in meetings all the time kept playing over and over in my head. Yeah. And they say that a head full of a head full of AA and a belly full of booze don't mix. A head full of AA and a body saturated with meth with methamphetamines will drive you crazy. Sure. Because all I kept hearing is keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. And I hear it all the wow. time. And then I'd get a pause where I hear it works. If you work it, you know. <laughs> and so my 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 high was ruined. <laughs> and I I just I just wanted oh. it to stop, but I couldn't. <clears throat> and so I I did that that Hail Mary prayer one day. And I said, you know what, God? I can't do this no more. You know, I'm tired. I'm scared. I, I can't hang out. In the, I'm lying in the 12-step community because I'm all jacked up on drugs. And yet, I can't stay out all night in the drug community because I have commitments. And, and so it's just insanity. Yeah. And, and, and I prayed March 20. I prayed on March 27th. And I got arrested March 28th. And my sobriety date is March 29th, 1999. Wow. And I haven't had a drink or a drug since then. Wow. That's unbelievably cool. So so you got arrested. You had this 67 grams of meth, you said? Yes, in the backseat of my car. Um, and, and it sounds like at that moment you surrendered finally. Um, I mean, completely surrendered because <laughs> we, we all know, we all know what it's like to surrender kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, but this time, so what happened? Did they send you back to prison? Um, the lady from the treatment center actually came out to Riverside to represent me because she runs an alternative sentencing. And I remember the judge says, okay, because this, this is a complete different judge, complete yeah. DA. I mean, everything's complete. So I'm like a stranger to them. Yeah. There's and no empathy. Yeah, <laughs> They're not feeling it. None. None. <laughs> and when they said, we're going to give you 12 years with 80%, I'm like, wait a minute, Your Honor. I'm still intoxicated. I don't even know what's going on right now. You know? Wow. And so she came and represented me. And, uh, the court seemed favorable, and instead of giving me twelve years with eighty percent, they gave me five years with half. And What's I that mean, five years with half. I only have to do two and a half years off a of five year sentence. Gotcha. And when he gave me that sentence, he asked me, "Is there anything you want to say to the court?" And I go, "Yes, 
Thank you, Your Honor. I'm an alcoholic. I thought maybe I'd get some time chopped off for that one. And his reply was, well, I'm glad you can admit that. Now you got a lot of time to sober up, son. You know? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and how old were you? At that point, I was, that's when I was 37. So at 37, you had to go do two and a half years. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. So how you were 40, 39 when you got out? I, I got out when I was, I got out when I was 30, 39 and a half. Okay. Um, when I got out, the, the beauty of being arrested, I've, I've been in prison. I, I know prison life, you know. You I said, think hold it, on. Uh, nobody ever says the beauty of being arrested. You just said the beauty of being arrested. <laughs> yes. And, and I find that to be true. If it wasn't for the amount of times that I've been arrested, I probably would have died. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, I OD before I had weapons pulled on me before. I mean, just all kinds of insanity. And those moments in jail is what allowed me to have enough time to detox all that poison out of my body and to yeah. make me stop from what I was doing. And wow. so, yeah. And so um, normally when I'd go to jail, I'd adapt to that mentality. I'd, I'd sell my, you know, my commissary for drugs. But this time I, I felt complete different. I mean, it was just a whole different psychic change because I've already had 18 months of the program. So I know what that was like. Yeah. So I just got back into my program, you know. Me in, and God, prison, in prison, you got back in? In prison. Me and I was... I was always, I, I was always sort of religious, but not spiritual. I mean, I, I believed in certain doctrines and things like that, but this time it switched. I was yeah. more spiritual than I was religious, and me and God, and I and I, that's what I call my higher power. We got into this really, really cool relationship, and it it was nice. I mean, I read the Bible and I read the Bible before, but this time it made meanings. I, I felt this calmness around me that I just, it just felt good. And so when I got out of prison, um, the lady who owned the treatment center picked me up, took me to a place to stay. I didn't get along with people there, but I was always involved in the 12-step community. And that is what led me to the life that I have today. You know, I, um, wow. I remember because, you know, again, I was homeless and I lived I lived in parks and um in carport overhangs and just couch surf. But this time, you know, I lived indoors and I had this this comfort feeling of God's presence. And I remember going to a park one day and I was laying on a bench and I said, you know what, God, I know cars run on gas and I know concrete objects are solid. I know this for a fact. Prove to me that you're there, just give me some proof. And I just got hit with this like, (laughs) this overwhelming feeling or comfortness that is still with me today. You know, I know a lot of people call it a spiritual awakening and whatever, but I literally have been rocketed into a place in life that I never could have imagined. And I still have that with me today. Wow. Yeah, at that point, I, I started completing everything that I, I started before in my substance use. 
Um, I started going back to school. I completed that program. I um, got my first license as a psychiatric technician. Um, I stayed in recovery, sponsored people, got commitments, did all that, continued to go to school. Um, from that, I think I picked up a bunch of certificates um, in substance, substance use. I'm a certified addiction treatment counselor. I continue to go to school. Um, got my associate's degree in science, got my associate's degree in art. I continued to go to school. I got um, my registered nursing license. Wow. I yeah, I continued to go to school. I got my bachelor of science in nursing. And I'm doing all of these things while I'm going to meetings and, you know, praying every day and being involved in uh, being of maximum service. And wow. And it's, it's it's fascinating because I started out with an eighth grade education. Right. And these are the things that I get to experience. Now, having a track record that I had because I have felonies and prison records and things like that, I had to jump through hoops. You know, it's hard yeah. for it's it's hard, but it is doable for somebody to have felonies and yet get a license to practice nursing. Right. You know, right. and, and yeah. I laugh because I found a God that's in the miracle business, you know, and I laugh because all my life I wanted to be a drug dealer and God made me a nurse. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so oh. I'm doing I'm doing all of that. Um, and I got to the point after I got my bachelor's degree. You know, I I said, and like I said, God and I, we have conversations because that's my relationship. And I, I'm like, okay, God, what next? You know, and he's like, okay, how about we just give you a house? I'm like, okay, so I have this house that um, I currently live in. It's like, okay, God, you know, what next? You know, and he's like, okay, well, how about if I if I give you a career? So I'm a, I'm a nurse. I've been working one job since I was, I've been working one job for 15 years. And six years ago, they promoted me to be director of nursing. And, Jeez. Wow. Yeah. And again, I laugh because of the insane that I live through. I'm, per I'm a perfect fit to manage a psychiatric hospital. And so that's what I do. I'm a director of nursing of a psychiatric hospital. Wow. Yeah. And, um, things just keep happening. I hang out in meetings. I go through situations and I get uncomfortable. I just go to meetings and I just throw it out there. You know, I remember um, my first time even getting employment. You know, I went to a meeting and I go, my name is Anthony. I'm an alcoholic. I can't find a job. And one of the wise people in the meeting said, Anthony, why don't you go put in an application? <laughs> <laughs> right. I didn't think of that, you know. <laughs> Um, I, I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just, it just wasn't in my neural network at that right. point. Um, I remember during this time I got I got married, I went five years of sobriety, and within one year I got divorced, you know? Right. And I went to a meeting, I'm like, oh my God, my life is over. Um, I tried this thing, I'm a failure. And a little old lady came up and she kissed one cheek and she patted the other. She goes, honey, divorce is fine. I've had five. You just need practice. You know. <laughs> so 
So there, there goes all that whining. That went out the window. Right. And so I'm doing all of this stuff. I'm the director of nursing. And, you know, somebody said, you know, because I share enough in meetings. They said, well, why don't you just write, why don't you just write a book about your life? I'm like, okay. And so I wrote a book and, and it got published. Wow. You know? And the funny thing is in, in my, in my mind, I thought, okay, I'm just going to write a book and put a hundred of them in my car, go to meetings, pass them out and things like that. I had no clue, none that this book would lead to me having interviews and speaking with people such as you. I never realized that this book would gain attraction to give the homeless people a voice. I, I, I had no clue, but I was taught a long time ago, just do the footwork and lead the results up to God. Yep. And and that's what I've been doing. And so the book, the book is out. Um, I'm, I'm doing nursing. I'm director of nursing. Everything's great. And I remember um, I'm sitting back and I'm, you know, I'm like, God, I'm tired, you know? And then God's like, well, I'm not. And so <laughs> next thing you know, um, a position came up at a college and I applied for that position and I got hired. And so now I'm a professor at a community college out here. And so, wow, yeah. And <clears throat> I just keep doing the footwork and lead the results up to God. And somewhere in the middle, um, Probably when I had, actually, when I when I first got out of prison, I got hired at this treatment center, and I was going to school to become a psych tech. And they asked me if I wanted if I could help them build a dual diagnosis program. And I said, sure, you know. And me and another student got together, and we actually developed a dual diagnosis program for this treatment center. And that's why behind behind my shoulder you see that little blue heart with the care in it. Yeah. And so. Um, from this treatment center, I worked there and I left this treatment center and I decided I'm going to make the company portable. And so I opened up my own um, my own business, my own corporation. And that's that's our symbol right there, CARE. And so now I own a corporation. I'm the professor at a college. I'm the director of nursing services at a um, psychiatric hospital. I'm a published author. And I'm like, okay, God, you've done you've done me well because 21 years ago I was eaten out of a dumpster going, going to prison and I was homeless and I had eighth grade education. I'm good. You know, wow. I, you know, and then God's like, well, I'm not done yet. <laughs> right. You know? And so I keep hearing, you have to give it away to keep it. You have to give it away to keep it. Yeah. And so I decided actually with the help of my brother, cause he's not doing well out there. He's, he's, just doing research and development on the chemical side of life. Yeah. And uh, one day um, he told me he was, um, he was living in an abandoned doctor's office. And I understand living in abandoned houses. And this is in Steubenville. And so I told him, find a name or who owns that. And I would, I would buy it because I'm, I'm financially comfortable right now. I'm not rich, but, you know, I'm, I'm able to, to do something. And I was told a long time ago, or I felt a long time ago, none of this stuff here on this planet is mine anyway. It's all God's stuff. I just get to play with it. Right. You know, I've never seen a Hertz with a U-Haul connected to it. <laughs> right. 
And, right. And, and so none of this is going with me. And so because of my brother not being able to acquire um, whoever owned that abandoned doctor's office, I felt that it's best that I help out the other homeless people. And so I purchased an abandoned mansion in Mansfield, Ohio, in which I'm going to refurbish and give to the homeless people. Dude, that's and, that's 30 minutes from where I'm sitting. And that's called it's called Brown Manor. Okay. And, and, that, and, wow. and it's just for homeless. I mean, I just want to give it to homeless people. I don't want to charge them nothing. And a lot of people are like, well, what's wrong with you? It's like, <laughs> I, I, I have enough, you yeah. know. So why not give to other people? And I know what it's like to be homeless. And I know what it's like to not have a roof over your head. And I know what it's like to struggle. I understand that. So why yeah. not just give you a house? And they're like, okay, well, how much are you going to charge? It's like, I'm not going to charge them nothing. Wow. You know, now my plans and God's plans are always different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Now, in my head, it's like, I'm going to refurbish this house and go, here you go, six, six people who are down on their luck. You can live here. It's, it's yeah. your house. You know? Whatever happens between now and then, who knows? Because it takes a lot of money, and I didn't realize that, to refurbish an abandoned house that has been empty for so long. <laughs> it takes takes a little bit of a little bit of cash. Yeah. yeah. But I am blessed to have two really good jobs. I'm the director of nursing at a hospital and I'm a teacher. And once I pay all my bills, then the rest goes towards the house. And, and again, I get on my knees and I go, you know what, God, I am tired. And God is like, well, I'm not. And so, <laughs> and so I just smile. I, you know, to be honest with you, Ken, I'm, I'm done with saying, God, I'm tired because it's irrelevant anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. And so right. I just did a footwork. And so I have, I have the book out there. I have a GoFundMe for the house. I have my two jobs. And I'm to the point where... I'm comfortable enough. If I decided I wanted to liquidate my 401ks, I could probably do something for that house. You know, because again, I'm not going to take none of this stuff with me. I'm, I'm not, you know. And so I get the opportunity to carry a message to other individuals that no matter where you come from, you can go somewhere. And I went, and that's the name of my book, From Park Bench to Park Avenue. Wow. And, I, and, and I, and that's my story. And wow. I now understand that God brought me through all of that stuff so I could be in his position to deal with whatever he puts in front of me today. You know, I wow. have, um, we're, we're going through this whole COVID thing, you know, and I work at a hospital. I have staff, I have clients to look after. I have to, I get the pleasure of dealing with people's anxiety. You know, in an empathetic way, because I've been through situations. You know, I tell people they ask me because I, I mean, I do the mask and a, and a gown and proper PPE. Six. I mean, I believe in that. You know, and people ask me, how come you're not afraid of COVID? You know, and I tell them, I ate out of dumpsters. I injected drugs in my <laughs> arm. I mean, I smoke right. God knows what. You know, <laughs> COVID doesn't have a chance against this immune system. There, there's your book right there. Hey, there it is. There it is. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's my book. That's awesome. I'll I'll put the link in the comments for people to be able to to go um go pick that up. Wow, okay. man. Yeah. And that's so, incredible. Yeah. 
and so life is life is good. You know, I I love the one day at a time thing. Sometimes, you know, I love the one minute at a time. I I laugh because, you know, I don't I haven't had a drink or drug for over twenty one years, but wow. my my disease centers in my mind. It's it's not the drinking that's my solution. It's my thinking that's the problem. And right. um, I've had some some pretty good ideas in sobriety. Like a lot of things to me, and I can admit this because I just laugh at life now. A lot of things are new. And I remember um, the first time I got a blender. And you know, <laughs> a, bl- when, a blender. A blender. Because when you're homeless, we don't we don't have blenders in the back alley. You know? <laughs> right. Right. And and so I, I get you're my not waking my, up juicing juicing every morning or no, no. Well, I was juicing, <laughs> but it wasn't, you know. <laughs> it had no no broccoli in it. No, no, there was no broccoli in it. Yeah, right. I I found out that there wasn't really grapes in the wine I was drinking, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh. and so I, I have my blender, and I'm doing good. I, I'm looking on the internet, figuring out how to make fruit smoothies, and you know, I'm an all or nothing person. I got my little apron on, and yeah, I'm just I'm just having a having a blast, and. Out of the clear blue sky in my head when I'm making a smoothie, <laughs> something said, put an onion in it. Oh, Lord. And so without any hesitation, I'm like, okay. And so I put an onion in my fruit smoothie, and um, it really messed up my blender. And so now I have oh experience. Yeah, you know, don't put an onion in a fruit smoothie. <laughs> oh, my God. No. Yeah. Not not something you want to do. No. Wow, no. man. You have one unbelievably powerful story. How many times in total were you arrested and, and in prison? You were in prison four or five times, it sounds like. Oh, I spent most of the 90s in prison, in jail. Most most of the 90s. I, uh, I think the longest... I was out. I started going to a county jail in 92, and I finally was released permanently in 2001. And in between those years, it was in and out of prison. I think the longest I stayed out was maybe 90 days, and the shortest I stayed out was three days. Justin said the name of your next book, Don't Put an Onion in Your Fruit Smoothie. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, um, I, I have all kinds of cooking things because, I, I mean, I'm just learning how to cook. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, I I, I went to school. I, I can sit there and I can explain to you on a biochemical level what happens to your body because that's, that's yeah. my major, yeah. you know, biology and psychology. But when it comes to cooking, I'm still not that good at it. And someone in the meeting told me, ease yourself into it, get a crock pot. Right. And so I got a crock pot. And I was doing good. I mean, I was like beans and ham hocks and man, my house was smelling good. And and so I'm doing well on the beans. And someone told me in a meeting, why don't you put some garlic in your beans? I'm like, okay, I, (laughs) I understand that. And so again, I'm looking at YouTube on how to cut garlic. I got my apron on, I'm smashing it with the side of the knife making little noises, you know, la, 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 la. I'm like really yeah. getting into it. Yeah. And so I'm cutting up all this garlic and I throw it all in my beans. 
And next thing you know, my whole house smells like garlic. Yeah. And I'm tr I'm trying to taste this stuff, and it's nasty. And there's <laughs> garlic coming out of my pores, and so I'm baffled. Oh my god! <laughs> and so I go to the meeting, and I go to this person. I said, "You said put some garlic in my beans," and I did. And they said, "Well, how much garlic? I, I put that whole little plant in there, right?" And they're like, "No, you're supposed to take a clove from yeah. the garlic, not the whole bulb, right?" So now I know the difference between a clove and a bulb. Wow. And, and I have to work through the trauma of the crock pot, but I'm getting there. Wow. The, it's the simple things, right? It it's is. Simple it things. Is. Man, I, I mean, you have a very, very powerful story. Do you have a website that people can follow you? or? Uh, yes, they can go to www.anthonyhowardbrown.com. Anthony Howard Brown. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. They can go there. I'm on um, Facebook, YouTube, um, Twitter, Instagram. I'm all over the place. Is that it right there? Scrolling? Yep. That's it. Okay. So there's and your website. And your um, all of your social media links, are they on your website? Yes. Okay. So people and Brown, can find Brown Manor is there. Um, I think a link to my to my corporation. You can just type me in, and you should be able to find me. But um, that's it. And I'm more than happy to um, come and speak anywhere. Well, now now because of COVID, we can do everything. Yeah. But I'm yeah. you know I'm happy to share my experience with anybody you know that wants to have some hope. I I um I I have this I think once a month thing going out in Mississippi on the radio. Um, I think I've been. I have three interviews with Dr. Drew. I'm I'm getting around, but the whole thing is it really isn't about me. It's about how can we help our brothers and sisters that aren't as fortunate as us. That's that dude that that you, you, last night so I I do a show on Sunday nights with Glenn Morshower who's been an actor for 45 years. He's been in You've seen him. If you've ever watched TV, you've seen him. He's he's on a current show called The Resident on Fox Television. He was Agent Aaron Pierce on TV show 24 for seven years. Um, he's been in movies, Black Hawk Down, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, he's um, my best friend. And we do a show with a guy named Scott McCain on Sunday nights called The Ken and Glenn Show with a guy named Scott. And... Um, <laughs> I was feeling a little under the weather last night, so they decided to do the show, start it without me. I came on towards the end, but they said um, they, the, the name of the show last night, the actual title of our show last night that they came up with is It's Not About You. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then here you are talking about that. So um that's that's serendipity man that's the way it works you know god is god is trying to get a message out and and that is it's not about us it's about helping our fellow man it's about helping others i'm gonna after after we get done i want to i want to get the address of your place in in uh, mansfield i'd like to run over there it's 30 minutes from me like literally right down the road so um <laughs> I'd like to, there's a prison over there. It's an abandoned prison, but uh, a yeah, big, big prison over there. Um, but as a matter of fact, it's the prison where Shawshank Redemption was filmed. Yes. Mans Mansfield State Prison. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so I'd like to check that out and see if there's ways that we might be able to help. And, and, um, from your website is your GoFundMe for the, the homeless mansion. Is that on there? Yes, it is. Wow. Wow. There's a buddy of mine here from Ohio who's in law enforcement actually. So, um, Olin Martin, dude, and you're out in Orange County, California, buying abandoned old busted up mansions in, in Mansfield, Ohio. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, dude. That's incredible. Did you come back? I, I assume you flew over here and went and looked at it. Um, not before I bought it. <laughs> that would that would make that would be too logical. You know, here's Ken, here's here's my thing, and it's really fascinating. Oh my god. I I live by so much faith, it's pathetic. I love it, dude. Okay. I even getting this this mansion, I, I went to buy it, and um you know, I'm so used to the philosophy that if you have enough money, you can buy something. That's not true, you know. <laughs> it, it's not true. And so, you know, they first wanted oh, an X amount of money and I got half of it in cash and showed them pictures. I could try to do, but no. And so I just let it go. And then it came back around that the actual owner was selling the house. And I still have the obsessive mind of an alcoholic. Yeah. That, that is one of my, I think that's a positive trait because whatever I get my mind focused on, I'm going for it. Yeah. You know, and I was able to get my education and everything else. And they told me early on, if you, if you go after life as you did drinking and using, you're bound to be a success. Yep. And so I wanted this house and I made payments to the guy who owed it for over a year. And I've never seen it. Never. And wow. finally on, on the last payment, I flew out there and it was, it was funny because uh, I walk in, I mean, I, I turned on electricity from here. I dealt with everything and I walk into this <laughs> house and when I when I when I first walked into the house, the very first thing I seen was a dried bat hanging off the lights. Oh my god! And, and I'm like, okay, you know. And the house has been abandoned for a while. You know, people have vandalized it. They took all the stuff, the copper wires. And I'm like, what the heck did I buy? And this is after <laughs> I've already spent like thirty one thousand dollars. You know, oh my gosh, and it's like, said, what the heck did I buy? Right, you know, <laughs> and I went back to my hotel and I got on my knees and I said, You know what, God, what do you want me to do? And I went back the next morning, and I opened the doors of that house, and it was the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my entire life. Wow, I seen ornate fixtures, stained glass windows, woodwork that people don't even replicate. And I'm like, oh, this is like so beautiful, you know, and I just smiled and all it took was for me to pray and get out the way. Wow. That's it. You know, that is, that is so powerful, man. I I am, I'm so grateful that you came on here today and shared your story. I, I guarantee you, you've helped somebody, man. You've helped me. And Hey, you know what? I guarantee you helped yourself. (laughs) <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. I'm getting, yeah. after the show, um, I get the privilege of going to the hospital. I know we had um, a couple of cases pop up and, yeah. you know, I get to go and help people deal with their fears. I get to go, um, you know, figure out how to contain it. I, I get to do all of that stuff all because 
I'm able to sit with other people and discuss the true nature of who I am, you yeah. know, and share it with other people because they say you got to give it away to keep it, you know. Yeah, you do. Am, yeah, and I'm I'm nothing spectacular. I'm just I'm a human being navigated navigating life like everybody else can. That's all I am. Nothing spectacular. Yep. I get it, dude. I get it. I think you're pretty special, man. So um, thank you for coming on and sharing your experience, strength, and hope, and your wisdom and your humor. <laughs> and um, yeah, man, I think it's awesome. So Anthony, stay with me. I'm going to end the live stream, but stay with me if you would. I'd like to chat with you for a minute afterwards. But um, thank you for coming on and sharing. And God bless you. God bless your life, your sobriety, and the message that you're carrying. Thank you. I really appreciate you, man. All right. Thank you, Ken. You guys have an awesome day. <clears throat> Make sure you go over to anthonyhowardbrown.com and follow Anthony across all of his social media platforms. And I would also like to give a special shout out to my beautiful, amazing 15-year-old daughter. Today is her birthday. She turns 15 today. Unbelievable. So um, happy birthday, Kenna. I love you. You guys have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Anthony. Appreciate you, man. Bye-bye.